1: Hello everyone and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor and my purpose in life is to encourage people to live positively through the many and varied challenges of life. Uh, You can find out uh, more about this uh, uh, radio show at journeytosuccessradio.com. And my guest today is someone I've interviewed before and who is now involved in another book project. He already has his own book. Uh, His name is David Brown, The Average Joe, he calls himself. And his website is The Average Joe as well. David spent 25 years of his career in the insurance business. And uh, of all the things someone could sell, that one has to be sold. People don't line up to buy it. And he found that the uh, major challenge of running a small business was and the reason businesses fail is failure to understand their market and their customers buying habits. And David became a student of marketing and knocked it out of the park with his first campaign, which brought in 20% more sales. And when other agents saw the results, they said, "Uh, hey, uh, Dave, you should be teaching this stuff. To me, but probably not to other people. (laughs) But this led him to write his book, From the Bottom Up, The Ultimate Guide for Business Planning to Profitability. And in 2012, uh, David took a big leap and left the insurance business and started his own consulting business, uh, pursuing his passion of marketing and helping others. David is a firm believer in serving his community. He became a volunteer board of directors for a community health center in 1987, and he worked his way up the ladder from there to become president of the board of directors for nearly 20 years. And during his tenure, he saw the organization grow from a small health center to four locations in two counties with a budget over $11 million. He was also elected president of the Michigan Primary Care Association for two terms, and he has served on the Board of Directors of the National Association of Community Health Centers. David's work has earned him several awards from both the state and national associations. And as his book title, The Average Joe, says, The Average Joe, Dave Brown knows what it's like to learn from the bottom up, from starting a business to being president of a multi-million dollar organization. A consummate professional, David's marketing skills, continue to increase his clients' businesses by 20 to 25%. Welcome to the show today,
0: David. Thanks, Tom, for having me on once again.
1: Uh, You learn a lot, I imagine, in 25 years in the insurance business, a lot about people, and uh, I imagine a lot about financial part of life, and probably a lot about... uh, the healthcare industry, which is uh, maybe how you got into such a big involvement in the in the healthcare industry. But I imagine in 25 years of uh, or however many years of insurance business you were in, that you saw a lot of stories that helped you to push the next client maybe a little bit more than you felt comfortable with. Uh, from I read one story of a of a wife and she thought there would be one less zero on the end of her check, and she was crying. Her husband had done a great job of providing for her and her family, and uh, those type of stories must have made you more determined to overcome a few no's, I imagine. Right,
0: David? Oh, they do. When you when you see the joy that, that, uh, that money brings to a family at the time of need, everybody else is bringing bills and uh, I had the opportunity uh, at those dark times to uh, bring a check, which got the families through uh, where they were at. and uh, It just warms your heart to know that this is when they need it and here's the money to help them get by until uh, they get everything settled. It, it does push you to make sure that all your clients are protected in that same way.
1: Right, and, and uh, uh, you know, when someone is in a bad state and grief like that, really adding a financial worry must be nice to be able to relieve them of that financial worry that, okay, I am grieving, but I'm only grieving. I'm not also worrying about my future. And that must really, really be a a sense of accomplishment and joy and relief uh, for you and for their family. And so... Uh, that's a long time to be in that business, and you learn a lot, but how did you... Uh, it sounds like I think at the same time you were in the insurance business, you got into all of these uh, healthcare... Uh, uh, at least one healthcare board where you're the volunteer board of directors for that community health center starting in 1987. H- how did that happen? Did somebody just invite you to it? Was it something you uh felt compelled to volunteer for, and then just moved up the ranks. How do you do both because I would think having a family running your own insurance business is somewhat busy enough uh and I know when you're on a volunteer board of directors, you mm-hmm. may tell them you have five hours a week, but they're gonna try and snag ten hours a week
0: out of you yeah it was it's a what it started out is back uh in eighty six I had taken a uh, emergency emergency medical technician course, and passed that when I was on the volunteer fire department. And when at that time, the board of directors represented each individual local unit of government in the area. So our township supervisor came over to the fire station one night looking for me and says, "Hey, we need somebody from the township. You're just into this medical now. You want to go see what this is about for us?" So. I went to one meeting, and it's been almost 30 years, and I haven't left yet. <laughs> uh, the beauty of it is, is as the board of directors, we hire somebody to run the day-to-day operation. So it runs itself. We set the policy and direction through the strategic planning, and the knowledge that I've learned there through that avenue has helped me with more on the business planning, because when you're dealing with uh, $11 million budgets, it's got to be pretty intricate and then also um, things that went on with that uh, because we talk take care of everybody that walks through the door regardless of their ability to pay but there's programs out through there to help the lower income and using that knowledge i was able to help my insurance clientele uh, to do what's right for the client Mm. i had one uh, single mother come in she had two little girls and i can still remember it like it was yesterday and she wanted health insurance. And so she came to me and says, wanted a price. And I, so I had the only option I had at that time was Blue Cross. And so we were talking as I'm looking everything up. And when I got to figuring out the the, the rate for her, I knew she couldn't afford it. Because mm-hmm. it was so extremely expensive. And what little bit of income she had. So we were talking a little bit more. And I asked her about one of these uh, state health plans. For the low income, and she knew nothing about it. So I sent her to the right place to get signed up, and she got her two daughters signed up for $5 a month each. Wow. And then she came back to me the next day and was able to afford coverage just for her. So the sense of relief this mother had, uh, because I knew different programs that were out there for my involvement, so it it cross-fed between the insurance and the healthcare. But she, you know, I got one of the biggest hugs I'd ever gotten from a client that day because I was able to do what was right for her to help her get the coverage she needed.
1: Right. And to direct the money. Right. And to direct the money to, like, most of the money should be spent on the mother's insurance and maybe, like, 10% on the child's insurance is just the likelihood of the mother dying before the the children. And so to be able to do that,
0: oof. Well, this was the health insurance that she needed because the kids, you know, were in that age range, you know, six, seven years old where they had all uh, you know, the immunization issues and things like that. And they needed to get health care. And so mom needed it because you don't know what's going to happen when you're a single mother. You can't afford it. You can't afford to be with it, but you can't afford to be without it. But uh, you know, And so she became a client for life, you know, and then eventually we kept batting on more Uh, products that she could use to help her and her family as her income built so it was we were able to put it together the right pieces to the puzzle which is just a tremendous feeling to know that you know you go home at night and you could sit there with look in the mirror and say you know i had a good day because i helped so many people
1: right and then even you and i were talking the other day because some people might uh, think it's Strange or weird or not right to buy insurance for kids, but I was telling you my example, which is a bad mistake. We all make some financial mistakes in our life, but my parents bought a life insurance policy for me when I was just a baby, and I guess it matured at some point, and they didn't have to pay any more premiums, and they signed it over to me, and silly me, I cashed mm-hmm. it. Uh, and then in my mid 20s, I I figured I should have insurance uh, in case I get married um, and for various reasons. And with rheumatoid arthritis since the age of five, and at this point, I've had four hips, four knees, and two shoulders replaced, been in hospital about 40 times, every insurance company turned me down. And so now I'm stuck. I can't get life insurance for my wife, uh, which I would really, really love to do, or even, for instance, I would... Oh, I am leaving my uh, half my estate or, uh, to the Napoleon Hill Foundation, but I would love to leave more, and a life insurance policy would allow me to do that, but silly mistake, In early 20s, cashing out money that I could not recall if you paid me what I used it for, probably nothing valuable. And now I'm stuck for the rest of my life not being able to, to have life insurance. And so mm-hmm. it is a great value uh, for parents to think about buying life insurance for their kids, not thinking that the kids themselves will pass away or that they'll use it when they're young for a funeral cost, but think of it as buying life insurance for the future uh, spouse and the future grandchildren. And if you can think of it that way, that
0: would probably be a, a, a better
1: way to think of it, wouldn't it?
0: It is. and But there's still so many people out through there that uh, the color, the new big screen TV is more important than the life insurance. Yeah. Uh, and it's just I had one of my colleagues um, that was an agent on another part of the state that he insured each of his kids for a million dollars. And he really had to. To work to get the policies issued and, and they say why do you want so much on a kid he says do you think if something happened to one of my kids i'm going to be able to go back to work and he says it hmm. wasn't that you know so he protected their future but also should something happen his kids heaven forbid you know he didn't do that grieving process he didn't have to worry about going back to work because he was financially set but at the same time like you you, you said you know we do a lot of things early on in our uh, lives at young ages that, yeah, wisdom that we learn later on would have helped us, but he was doing all that to protect his kid's future because he could insure them for that. So when they, when they did get married and grown up, they were all set, but it was just one of those things that uh, people do. And I'm in a similar situation as you with heart trouble, um, mm. uh, you know, up till, you know, last few years, I've had a hard time getting health insurance because, When people, you know, you hear, you've had how many heart casts and how many stents? See, we don't even want to talk to you. So I was fortunate enough to have a lot of life insurance in place before I developed the heart issues. Thank goodness. But I'm a firm believer, you know, in that, you know, after selling it for 25 years. I bought a policy on my granddaughter when she was first born. I told my daughter and son-in-law, this is my gift, mine and my wife's gift. To her future, and we—I went to a a friend, and we bought a one-payment life insurance policy that never has to have another nickel paid on it. Mm, nice. And it cost me three hundred and fifty bucks forever. And it's you know starts out small and it builds over time. And I said, you know, I don't have to worry about it. She's right. protected, and you know, then they can do something down the road. And but it's you know my belief in in that situation, which. A lot of people still don't, you know, I don't want life insurance or I got it at work. So you mm-hmm. had to be creative in how we showed the need. Uh, I had it at work too, but we went on strike and I lost it all. Ah. So, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that, w- with the, uh, nobody stays at long term at a job anymore. Right. right. You know, you and I grew up in a time where you worked 30 years, retire, you know, with a good pension. Well, the average person what changes job every five to eight years, I think it is. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. The old days are gone. Only, uh, only gray hairs like us remember those times, and the young people think we're weird. And thank God we have our. True,
0: my case, but (laughs) right, (laughs) and mine too. Hey,
1: (laughs) maybe old people think I'm weird too. Uh, Thank God we have our friend Brad Zalas to uh, help us understand these young people because uh, that's his specialty is intergenerational communication so that they can understand old farts like us and we can understand the young people's thinking today because it's a lot different than when we were young. Now, let's talk about marketing. I love marketing and I love to learn about marketing and marketing can really help you work more on warm leads than cold calling. And especially in the insurance business, if you work on a warm lead rather than a cold one, that will make your life a lot more stress-free. And so you became a student of marketing and developed some campaigns that increased your sales by 20% or more. And uh, then other agents were asking you uh, to teach it Uh, Probably in the back of their head, they were hoping it would be a class of one, them, and not their competitors in the same area. Uh, But talk about marketing and what you learned. Is it specific what you learned, I guess, uh, because of your experience to the insurance industry or any financial uh, planner or someone in financial industry? Or is it business in general, uh, the marketing uh, information and techniques and ideas that you learned?
0: Well, it's it can flow across any business line uh, because the biggest thing we had to do is find out who is our preferred client. And so mm-hmm. many people think everybody's my prospective customer. Well, the mm-hmm. thinking there is, you know, if everybody's your customer, you really have no preferred person. Right. And some people, you know, boomers like myself or you know, we kind of a, go towards that age group where that's our comfort level. Well, when you take the younger agents, they're looking at the millennials or, you know, within five to ten years of their own age. And that's pretty much true of most other businesses. We have to identify, you know, who are we going after and what product are we going to use for that population growth? And so just taking time to understand who our preferred customer is and what makes them want to buy our product. And then once we get that narrowed down, and I love lists, uh, and it's so much easier now to get the list than it was years ago, uh, because you can go to several list brokers and uh, and buy a list. I had a uh, one of my clients in the consulting business uh, at, not long after I started. She was opening up a veterinary clinic, and so we did. We sat down and identified, you know, what's her preferred customer for her veterinary practice. And because it was especially cat only, we identified cat owners within a five-mile radius of her office because we wanted it local. And, you know, what income or people will spend money on their cats. So we right. identified several key factors that were pertinent to what population she was looking at. I went out to a list broker, and within a five-mile radius, we had 1,000 households with cats wow right and, and the beauty of that was that list was a hundred bucks wow a hundred dollars yeah and it was scrubbed for the do not call list you had you know address phone number and then i says all right, just for grins and giggles i kicked it out 20 miles just to see what kind of population if we went 20 miles out I mean, we traveled 20 miles. It's nothing to go see a doctor or, you know, another healthcare professional or someone that we're seeing. Right. So that would be no different. So I kicked it out 20 miles, and, I mean, we had like 15,000 names, and it was still only going to be less than two or $300. And so all of a sudden now, instead of trying to identify, we're sending stuff to people with dogs, we can concentrate on the ones with cats. So we... Just start to warm that lead up a little bit to somebody that has what we need. Wow! And, and I was just amazed at the numbers when I come back with these, when we identified all this criteria.
1: That I'm amazed that they could identify cat owners. Like, what kind of a survey do you fill out, or how does is there a door to door cat counting person? <laughs> like, but I guess maybe if you buy cat food or any kind of cat supplies maybe they can register you that way but uh i think it, the example more just tells people that whatever your target market is there is a list and oh, the lists are not expensive right
0: well you know i found a couple sources that had good quality lists for a very attractive uh investment then i found some that were you know really heavily uh charging for that investment for list. But the tighter you get your list of what you're looking for, the higher the price goes because you got a smaller number. Right. Right. Uh, and then uh, I did, I used the same broker uh, for my insurance practice years ago when I moved my office and we set this up with a uh, same thing. We identified what market we're looking at. So we decided the first mailing that we were going to do is just let everybody know we were in the, the new location. So, I got a list of a quarter or half a mile within my office, and that came back with I forget how many thousand names, just within a half-mile radius of the office, because there's several subdivisions. So we put together a marketing piece that said, "Hey, we're in the neighborhood." had the information about the office. So we sent that out over three weeks. The fourth week, I rented a billboard for a month. So it had the same information on the billboard as it did the postcard other than my picture which was on the billboard, and the first client that came in off of that mailing we did was more than uh, covered my investment. So anything after that, I was making a profit on my investment. Wow. And so I said, you know, I kind (laughs) of like this. We were were able to target down to, if we want to look at high-value homes, homes within a million dollars within the county. I mean, and and you can get all these things, non-smokers, magazines, do they play golf? And and so it's just a matter of what kind of customer base that you're looking to build, and you can get Mm -hmm. your list.
1: And I think there's a few things that we can learn in there. Uh, I think, I know I read from a marketing guru, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want people getting off uh, this interview and looking up this guy, but he was talking about the more narrow you can find, you know, focus your market or your buyer persona when you're thinking of your ideal client. The more narrow you can make it, uh, the better. Whereas, as you said, a lot of agents or businesses, just like anybody within 20 kilometers of me, is a is a prospect. Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard to hit a huge moving target. It's a lot easier to get known in a smaller niche and become the expert in that niche. And mm. I think that's where you're narrowing down with that woman. Okay, cat owners within X number of kilometers, that's your ideal market. And then even when you talk about lists of, for what you are doing, okay, yes, people like golf. <sighs> Great idea. People that tend to do that tend to be middle income or above and great prospects. And so the more narrow the niche, and people might get scared narrowing their niche, thinking, oh my gosh, I'm leaving all these prospects out. Well, no, you're leaving your competition out of your niche and letting them chase every Tom, Dick, and Harry while you become known as an expert in your niche, and if you become an expert in your niche, all those people in your niche now start referring you to other people because people in a niche tend to hang around with other people in the same niche, and so narrow your target. And then, uh, the other thing I was thinking of asking about was uh, uh our friend Jim Palmer, the newsletter guru, he is big on mailing, and a lot of people in this day and age think, Well, I'm just gonna post on LinkedIn and Facebook and build a great website. But I think retention of information is a lot higher if you have something printed in your hand and then you didn't stop at print material. You're like, okay, let's do a billboard. And pretty soon people are thinking, wow, this Dave Brown guy's all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so talk about the different areas because people might just settle on, okay, I'm going to do social media. I'll I'll, I'm only going to mail. But there are different ways of... Catching the attention of the people in a narrow niche.
0: Oh, without it, because what happens is the social media is fine of building your network and just letting people know you're out there um, because it just gets your name so people get the name recognition. But until they really know who you are, and depending on one service, if something were to happen that the social media just fell apart and it just People got tired of it and started logging off. You just lost all your marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got to spread it across several different mediums. Um, I used the billboard, which was great. We had our picture on it, and it was strategically placed. It was right next to a gas station uh, an eighth of a mile from the office. So when people are standing there pumping gas, Mm -hmm. they're looking around. There's my ugly mug stander down at them. Uh, as my pastor the church would tell me one day he says you know i'm used to god looking at me but the insurance guy no way (laughs) (laughs) so you know you hit it right when the pastor starts getting on you right right uh, there's a lot of inexpensive ways to market uh we have a local bus service they run out ad space on their bus i had the whole back of a bus for a year for two years and it was uh, see, I had another agent, and I him and I split it because he was housed in my office. And so it costs both of us like 400 bucks a year. So you're following a bus through town. There's our picture and our phone number. Oh, you're stopping to stop- I got to call Dave. Here's my number. Right. You know, it's just. Or even it's when you're at your... the
1: office, you're going to say. I need an insurance guy. Oh, yeah.
0: That guy in the back of the bus. I see him every day. I better give him a call. Yep. Right, and I've had people do that, and I've had, you know, people say, wait a minute, I was following you through town, I've been wanting to call you, so I'm sitting here at the light, and I'm going to call you. <laughs> but it it is, it's finding out, because different population groups, if you're dealing with a senior population, you know, the majority of them are not on Facebook and Twitter. Right. You know, that if you get into the millennials, yeah, you're going to spend a lot of time on the social media more so compared to the senior market. Um, I did a lot with long-term care and, uh, some of those avenues. So you didn't spend a lot of that information on the social media. So you learned how to do that. But like Jim's newsletter, you know, it's what's the, it takes five to seven contacts before people really start to remember your name. All right. So if you get a, a printed newsletter in the mail or a greeting card in the mail, say, Hey, just had you in mind, drop you a note or you get that letter. People, you know, that's just another touch to them. And that's why people lose businesses, because once they do get a customer or client, they never see them again. Mm. They don't send a little thank you note or a little note here or things like that. It's just that constant way of reminder, getting in front to get your name in, in their hands at least five to seven times before they'll probably buy the first time. Wow.
1: Or come back and buy. I was just thinking of car sales, and that's. Happens so much. You buy a car and you never hear from the guy again. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, did he really appreciate my business? Because he never calls me, never emails me, never checks on me. And so now I'm thinking, Dave, uh, David, like a guy like let's say a veterinary car salesman, any kind of professional, they must most of them probably do have not studied marketing at all. Is it hard for you when you initially sit down with them? To explain this, okay, let's narrow your niche. Let's create a, on paper and in your mind, your ideal customer. And then let's do all these things. Let me help you find a good list, not just a list, because you alluded to it earlier. There's crappy lists and they're good lists. And a veterinarian doesn't know a crappy list from a good list, but someone like Mm. you would know what to look for. And so when you sit down with them, is a lot of this like brand new to them and do their eyes light up when you explain narrowing the niche and creating the persona on paper and in your mind? And here's seven different ways we can get your name in front of them. Uh, This must be at the same time scary, but also
0: educational for them. Well, and that's part of our, I think our job as a consultant in in this arena is educate them on the process because uh, as much as we'd like to have them spend their money with us, just like, you know, they want people to spend their money with them, but it is, it's an education process. And sometimes they, they got this thing in their mind that, well, yeah, I can look at this and this and this, but when they sit down and start putting it on a piece of paper, that's when it starts hitting home. Uh, and how do we narrow this down? And uh, I was talking to um, a, a car salesman. I said, you know, what type of people that you, are you normally dealing with that buying cars from you? And so they started describing it. And it was that age group, five years either side of their age. You know, a lot of them are getting towards the retirement age and things like that. So we were able to, you know, start putting, well, why aren't you calling these people, you know? Go through your old list. Send them a note. You know who's bought a car in the last two or three years? Hey, just thinking about you. We got a great deal going on. Hope you have a great day and send a little handwritten card out. We're in a day and age that people don't handwrite. Right. Uh, I much prefer a handwritten card over an email. Right. And so it's just special about getting a handwritten card. It's it's substance in your hand. Right. And someone took no. the time to, Yep.
1: even though someone takes the time to write an email and someone takes the time to put nice handwriting, not all squiggles and writes it nicely, you really feel it's more from the
0: heart than an email. Uh, I used to, I work with a program called Send Out Cards. Mm. And I'd love it for the simple fact that I can personalize the cover of that card, put it in my own handwriting and it's mailed out. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine's kids just got married, so his parents had a beautiful picture of the bride and groom and, you know, and grandma and grandpa there, and it was from the wedding, and so I just downloaded that, put that on the cover of the card with a little note in there, and it was mailed out to him, and so a friend called me up, he says, how did you do that? He says, it's hanging on her refrigerator, Nothing hangs on her refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> but it—it it is things like that, and I used to do that for clients. When they'd see their name in the paper for a wedding or, you know, something like that or an anniversary, I'd send that on the front of a card. Oh. Or cut it out and put it inside a card and say, hey, saw you in the news. Thought you'd like to have this. And it's solidifying your customer base once you get them on the books.
1: Right. And they're not going to throw that card out. And... Guys like you and I, or at least me, I don't like shopping. I don't want to go to a... Okay, where's the nearest card place? And then stand and browse and read
0: mm-hmm. just
1: whatever Hallmark has available for me. I'd rather send a picture that's special to them with a, meet, with a message that is unique to them and to me with them, and that will not get thrown out, whereas... You know, Hallmark card, you may keep it for three days just for the sake of keeping it, but not something that's going to be a memento, whereas the cards you send are going to be a memento. Now, I was thinking of just something else, David. I was thinking of, uh, you know, let's say that car salesman, and he's thinking, okay, my prospects are older, five years on either side of me. You could call him. You could call, hey, David, how you doing? He's still golfing? Oh, yeah, I golfed a lot. I've been golfing a lot. What course do you go to? Oh, okay, excellent. David, I'm going to buy a round for one of your, who do you golf with? Oh, I have a bunch of guys, like my dad golfs with about 20 guys. and Oh, yeah, I have a group of guys. David, why don't I send you a free round of golf, and you decide, give it to one of your buddies. Maybe it's their birthday, mm-hmm. their anniversary, maybe they did something nice for you. Give it to them, just my compliments. That might cost yeah. you 35 bucks, 40 but... That built, uh, uh the That's an guy investment. almost feels he owes you now to at least call you or think of you or refer a client to you, and that one client could be worth 78 times more than the cost of the round of golf.
0: Yeah, it's the old adage, you know, do we make a sale to get a client or do we get a client to make a sale? Hmm. You know, right. we want to get them, you know, so they they know, like, and trust us. And then they're gonna buy, and then they're gonna buy again, and they're gonna keep buying because we've built up that relationship. Just like I said, you just call them up, say, "Hey, just thought I'd check and see how you're doing." I was thinking about you. Or drove by this, and and uh, that just goes so far. I had a used to send out just a little handwritten note every month to, to at a rotating list in my insurance business. People that we didn't see regularly, I just send a little note and say, "Hey, hope you're doing well." Uh, just thinking about you. Have a fantastic day. You know, and so they got my name in front of them. Most of them call just to say, "Wow, I never got oh, I never something got like, something that, like that, before.
1: that before." And so, make you stand uh, out now. And and I imagine if you put these things into practice, really think and spend time and a little bit of money compared to the overall return. I could see where it's possible to increase any professional's business by 20%. And 20% could make a, a big difference in a person's life. And just by spending some time thinking about how to narrow the niche, thinking of the list you could buy, thinking of four or five different ways you could get your name in front of their face on a regular basis, maybe a favor you could do for them, maybe a favor you could do for one of their friends um i i think that once you sat down with people with a with this plan i think it it must be very clear that yeah yeah i can do this not expensive it's not going to take a lot of these things don't take a ginormous amount of time and if you don't want to talk to a past customer You shouldn't be in business. These guys, these people should be your friends by the time they become a customer. And if you don't want to even bother picking up the phone or writing them a note or keeping in contact, well, your life is going to be hard because you're going to only have first time sales. You're not going to have Mm -hmm. referrals or repeat sales.
0: Well, and some of these things that we do, we've talked about, staff members can do that for you. Right. Uh, you know, I had, I had my secretary had a, a stack of cards. That she would send out, you know, the, even the, separate from me. I mean, so they were empowered to do this. Here's this, you know, tell me what you need, but it's something that they can do on a regular basis that I might not think of, or they've had uh something going on that they've seen and they just write a little note and send it out. Hey, we thank you, you know, here's a little something from us, and but it's just something that doesn't have to be just one person in the business. If you have more than one, you could spread that across two or three, and the number of people that you touch is tremendous. You could even have your teenage
1: son or daughter do it. You know, they need a part-time job. I'm not paying them. They live under my roof. Well, pay them, you know, pay them, because the returns on it are enormously high, and the cost of you doing it is three times higher because you could be Serving a past client or finding a new client or doing another presentation. And so, yeah, delegate it to someone, either someone you already have on staff, or if you're a small business person or an independent contractor or a commission only salesperson, yeah, get one of your teenagers to do it. Maybe you could pay a little bit to your wife and, you know, a way for a husband and wife to work together in a business. Uh, sweetie, can you? Send out these cards this week, and uh, uh, you know, can you do a send out card mailing to these people? And oh, you know, do well, this, this, the or other this.
0: Thing too, You could hire one of your your customers' kids. Oh wow! I had three of them work for me at one point in time. They get out, of, they graduate, wait from college, while they were trying to find a job in their their field of study. I paid them, you know, seven, eight bucks an hour to come in and stuff them envelopes and mail out the marketing material.
1: Wow, oh, you're creating a job for that person, and you can bet their parents are never going to leave you as a customer.
0: Oh, I have um, one of them. She was, uh, she graduated from college. She uh, was a ultrasound tech, and she was having a hard time finding a job. I said, "Her dad was in us." Hey, what's she doing? She, She's trying to find us said, tell her, come talk to me. I need a part-time person to do a little work for me. She came in the next day and she started working the day after that. And she'd work, you know, eight, 10 hours a week. She got a job in the hospital. She left me and I hired another one.
1: And And your parents
0: love you. Oh man, they thought I was great, you know, but it's just, it's, it's a way of building up rapport. And these kids are good workers. They used to cringe every time they'd hear my printer start buzzing with a lot of things coming out of it because i used to print my own marketing material mm-hmm. uh, but it was just one of the things that you know hey i hired them for a few hours a week and then they went up when my other uh office manager was off. they'd rep- work the whole week where she was off for on um, vacation or whatever so you got somebody you're already training in-house and it, it's a win-win right and so it's, it's it was the hardest then,
1: part to convincing professionals to invest uh some money for the list and for your services and for your experience and for your being able to help them pick a good list versus a bad one and versus you, you know, paying you for coming up with seven different ways that you can approach these people. Uh, is it hard? Like, oh, i am spent this much money on my shop and all this equipment mm-hmm. and you're asking me to spend another
0: thousand bucks or two thousand bucks.
1: Is uh, that the hardest
0: it part? Well, and especially on a, on a new start, a lot of them don't have the resources. Right. Uh, and so sometimes, you know, I've, you know, we all do. We, you know, give them a few tips to get them started, and those few tips will come back tenfold. Right. Uh, but I have some that, you know, I'll, I'll explain something to them, and they'll jump right on it because they see the value. Others right. just takes a little bit more convincing, and you may have to do it in small increments. Well, let's just start small. Here's a way to get this going without spending a lot of money that you don't have to help bring the money in the door to do the next part. Right. Now, do you experience what a lot of
1: professionals experience in that friends, family, people you know? Well, I know, David. He shouldn't be charging me, or I'm not going to pay him, or, you know, my brother-in-law's a a uh, uh, carpenter and works in houses and does amazing work and even I have asked him uh, could you come over Brian and fix this or fix that yeah well here's my rate and I might not be able to get there for three weeks because I do have big projects on the go and the first few times I was like that dirty dog he's my brother-in-law but as I've done a lot of free work for people I just, in the recent last year or so, started thinking, like, i got to do less stuff for free and got to mm-hmm. charge for my knowledge and my time. Uh, it takes me time. It takes me a lot of knowledge, a lot of learning that I've done, and energy. And those are limited resources. And so I decided, like, yeah, let's do fewer things for free. And that must be something you have to... Put your foot down a little bit just because you're a friend or a kind pastor. Of oh, compliant.
0: yeah, without a doubt. There's still a charter thing here. That, that you run across, and at least I do in in my things, is if you give them free advice, they don't take it for what it's worth because they didn't pay for it. They have nothing in, to gain from it. Right. You know, whereas if, yeah, you know, for, you know, you can rent my time for a hundred bucks and I, you know, we'll sit down and I'll work up a few ideas or just something, you know, as an example. They've got skin in the game, so they will pay more attention to that once they write you a check.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And right. I've seen that with a couple of deals I volunteered to help guys on, and uh, they didn't really like my idea. But then they brought somebody in that they paid to do the same thing, took my idea. and one particular one, he took my layout, twisted the picture on an angle, and charged them a hundred bucks. No. <laughs> And I, I wanted to reach up there and just slap him.
1: Right. Uh-huh. But, I mean,
0: it's it's because he didn't have to pay me. He just thought that, oh, that advice wasn't any good. Right. So right. I'm running into that more and more that, you know, it's I might give them a little added uh, value for what they're investing right. versus free.
1: Versus free. And if you give it to them for free, then they tend to implement it half-assed. So now they got free advice that they're not totally committed to because they didn't pay. And And then they're blaming you. And they're going to implement it half assed way without any help from you. And then they're like, well, that didn't work.
0: Yeah, he gave me bad advice. And then, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so better to establish that uh, right from the start. And even I've interviewed people for my radio show lately this year where they're. Uh, not the big names, this is really a favor for them, and it actually takes about three hours of my time for everything to, to be done, and, and coordinate it all, and do everything properly, and so I've char- I've started asking for 150 bucks, and boy, people paid it, started paying it, and I was like, if only I'd known this four years ago when I started, but I have a good enough roster of amazing interviews I've done, and and, you know, the ones that are not as famous as some of the bigger ones I do, uh, it is a favor for them. It is a marketing tool for them, not only the interview, but the promoting I do of it on the mm-hmm. social media. And so I started asking and people started saying yes. And I was like, wow, nice. This is very good.
0: And yeah. so I learned that
1: lesson. And I'm sure you or any professional has learned that lesson yet just because they're friends or family, if they're asking for your advice that you've studied hard, learned the hard way or learned the easy way, but took a lot of time to learn, that is worth money. And if you want to do it properly, you want them to pay. And they should want to pay
0: as well. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, we spent you know hours and hours reading and studying and seminars and investing in cost of seminars uh, to get the knowledge that we were able to bring to them. And, uh, that's worth a whole lot when it comes to starting a business.
1: Right, right. And so, and the advice you give them has a an ROI, like, as you said, like one client from advertising on the back of a bus or the billboard. It paid for the whole campaign for the year, so every client after that was one hundred percent pure profit and so uh these ideas that you've developed and helped people with have a return on investment financial return on investment, and so they need to pay to get that return
0: well and it's you know you've got two choices when it comes to experience it's the experience of others in your own experience well. You know, you and I and and so many others out there, we've put in, we've learned the hard way from our own experience. So what we're doing is we're saving them 25 years worth of time, which translates into a whole lot of money that they're not going to spend on something that didn't work because we gave them the advice that we learned early on that, hey, this isn't going to work unless you do this, this, or this. So we just saved you all that time, headache, and money. And now it's time to, you know, to invest in that time saving that we just say brought to you.
1: Right, right. And you could be saving them thousands of dollars in mistakes that you spent the money on. <laughs> yeah.
0: I could uh, go through a whole list because, you know, the School of Hard Knocks, you know, I didn't have the mentors that I uh, had towards the end of my career in the insurance or like I'm trying to be the mentor to so many uh, now based on what I've learned. Uh, I'm just giving back to people and making myself available to help them out uh, t- to take that next step. And it's, right. you know, it's we have to train the next ones that are going to follow up from us. Right, right.
1: Wow, this is fun. We could—I love talking about marketing. And, yeah, well, we could
0: go on for two days this way. <laughs> <laughs> we we, should, we sure could.
1: We sure could. And so we'll have to cut it off. But where's the best way for for people to find you? Because now we got people like interested. They're like, "Yeah, yeah, I need to pay this David guy, and I need to learn how to narrow my niche, how to pick a good list. I need to know this." five or six different ways to get in people's faces without being rude so where can they find you uh
0: well you can go to my website it's the joe dot Biz, com and you could send me an email at dave at the dot com um, and we could discuss a little bit have a little talk see how we can best suit for them and Moving forward. Excellent.
1: So, Dave at joe dot com. Oh, average Joe Biz B I Z. Oh, f- oh, average Joe Biz. Okay, Average
0: Joe was taken, so I had to add the Biz in.
1: Well, there you go. The the average <laughs> Joe is just an average guy. He's not a business guy. So we got the Biz dot com. And uh, oh, whenever I say that or see it, I was like, eh, "Dirty dog, David. He picked a common saying." Yeah. And then when you say the website name, people can't forget it because they've used the term "the average Joe" so much in their life. There's just no way they can forget it. So, amazing. Well, and
0: and that was the reason that you know the average Joe is. I am like so many people out through there that have left employment uh, from corporate employment one way or the other and started their own business as a form of necessity. And, you now I'm just the average guy out there in the street that has, you know, doing the same thing, um, sometimes not to the level that I'm doing it, but it's, we're just like anybody else that uh, left employment, couldn't, you know, at that point, didn't find another job. So I decided to be an entrepreneur. Then I've done it twice now. So, I mean, it's the average guys out there doing the same thing. And so hence the average Joe. Biz. Yep. Got to have the biz on the end to find me. Very uh, good. But, Tom, thank you for having me on your show again. It's always a pleasure to to spend time uh, talking about uh, how we can improve our clients' lives and businesses through our knowledge base. Amen, amen, and
1: always a lot of fun. Like, too bad we have to limit ourselves to time <laughs> if we could go on forever. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much, David. I appreciate it. And, people, come on. If you have listened to this, you're a professional, you need more business who who isn't. Everybody needs more business. If you want to test Dave on his 20% increase in business, give him a call. Talk to him and he'll soon uh, make you realize that yes, 20% is not that difficult if you take the right steps in the right order and have somebody like yourself to keep them out of the potholes of uh, business. That would be Well worth their time and well worth their money. Thanks for being on the show today,
0: Dave. I always have a lot of fun talking to you. Same here, Tom. Thanks again, and uh, we look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tomtotall.com for details.